to How Leaders Lead. I'm Kula Callahan here to bring you another edition of Three More Questions with David Novak. David, how's it going today? Fantastic. You know, it's interesting because we're going to be talking about Brad Richards today, the, the great hockey player who's Canadian. And I just saw uh, Nick Taylor uh, win the uh, Canadian Open, and he's Canadian, and it was a big deal there. I mean, everybody went nuts. It was like uh, he won the lottery or something, but it was he did. He did make a lot of money, but I guarantee you it was more than that. It was the pride for playing for his country, and uh, Brad's very proud of being from Canada as well. It's so true. Canadians love their country and they love their sports. And like you said, Brad Richards is a phenomenal hockey player. He's a two-time Stanley Cup champion and was MVP of the 2004 Stanley Cup. And what I really appreciate about your conversation with him is it's just this great reminder to trust the work that you put into something. Obviously with athletes, professional athletes, that's their job, right? They work at it every single day. But the same concept is true in business. David, you say all the time, when you do the right things, the right things happen. And I'm excited to dive into our conversation today to go a little bit deeper into some of these concepts. And preparation is everything. Absolutely. That's a great segue into our first question. So let's get rolling. Question number one. Brad talks a lot about getting his mind right before going out on the ice and executing. He says that when you're preparing for a big game, you really can't focus on it 24-7 if you want to do well, but rather you need to get your mind into something else to help loosen you up and keep you calm before you go out on the ice for your big moment. David, is there a story from your career about a big moment you had to prepare for? And if so, what did you do to get your mind right? You know, Kula, the, the big moment for me was always when I was going to come up on stage, whether it was at a franchise convention, a big analyst meeting, or uh, just a meeting we would have internally with all of our, our leaders. And what I did to get my mind right was start telling myself that the audience really needed to hear what I had to say. And no one could do it better than me. I would remember sitting in the audience going, okay, I'm going to make this point. I'm going to make that point. Yeah, that was something that needs to be emphasized. This needs to be, you know, really explained a bit more. Man, they really need to hear what I have to say. I know that sounds egotistical because I'm giving myself a lot of self-importance there. But I think as a, as a leader, you got to have some ego. You got to have some belief that, you know, you're, you're right for the big stage, that the time is now and it's time for you to do your job. and I look forward to those moments. And I always said to myself, how would I feel if I saw someone else in that moment? Well, I knew I would be envious. I, I knew I would covet the opportunity to get on that stage. And it's because I, I, I really knew that that was the job of me as a leader. I wanted to do my very best job so I could keep my job. That's so good, David. I used to speak a lot on stage too. And I remember kind of my routine before walking on stage. It was first some deep breathing to calm any nerves I had. And then it was kind of this internal hype woman. I would hype myself up and similar to you say, you know, what you're about to share with these people, they've never heard before. And even if it is something that already feels kind of second nature to you, you're teaching them something that could be really powerful. And this might change the trajectory of their business or their life. So I love this idea of kind of being your own hype person in those moments where you really have to perform and execute well. Of course, I'm not going out onto the ice and chasing a hockey puck up and down the rink, but 
Same type of concept applies to big moments in business. Trust that you are indeed the expert, that you indeed know what you're talking about, and that the people will really benefit from what you have to share. And when you have those big moments, Kula, use visualization. You know, visualize what what that moment's going to be like and what the outcome is that you want and see it happening. You know, when you see something happening, it has a real good chance to happen. When you don't really visualize it, you're kind of playing it on the fly, you know, and I always like to, to really think the night before, what would a great outcome look like? Close my eyes, visualize it, get prepared for all the good things that could happen, the potential bad things that could happen. So when I walked into that meeting that was a key meeting or I had to give that big speech, I was ready to go. Question number two. You asked Brad in the episode about the most challenging thing he faced when he transitioned from individual contributor to the leader of a team. He mentioned that one of the hardest things was galvanizing his team and getting them all motivated and aligned around what they wanted to accomplish. What advice can you give leaders who may also be in the transition from individual contributor to leader? Well, it's interesting because just recently I went in with a group of three very accomplished leaders and and we bought Valhalla, uh, the the golf course uh, in in Louisville, Kentucky, which will be the site of the 2024 PGA. And, you know, everybody on the team is a leader, but we knew we had to establish what we wanted to do together as a team. So I said, let's have a meeting. I'll lead the meeting and we'll get all our ideas and we'll get our the ideas of the key people on our team. You know, the, the green superintendent, our general manager, the golf pro. We got all the key players in, in the room. And, you know, I basically ran that meeting just like I would run any business meeting. We started out, we talked about what our mission was going to be you know, what the key projects needed to be, what the culture was that we wanted to create. And we really came up with a phenomenal uh, vision that is really guiding the action that we're taking today, which is to provide a unique golf experience that you can only find in Kentucky. So, you know, when you pull into Valhalla now, you're going to see Bluegrass Way, which is the driveway up to the clubhouse. You're going to see a white clubhouse with dormers like Churchill Downs. You're going to see white picket fences. You'll see a little horse farm and a covered bridge over to the left. And, you know, we when we have our big tournaments, we have a call to the post when it's time to do the tea time. You know, we're just having all kinds of fun with it. We're going to have a Taste of Kentucky menu inspired by KFC. Junior Bridgman is one of our owners and he's a Wendy's franchisee. He's going to, we're going to have a Frosty and call it a junior. You know, we're having all kinds of fun uh, putting this together. But I, I think the biggest thing is, is that, you know, when you're, when you go into a new situation, you want to get everybody on the same page. And I think you have to do that by creating a shared experience. And the fact that we got together as a team uh, with all the key constituents and spent a day talking about what we wanted to do to, to Valhalla, man, when we walked out of there, we were so aligned. And I don't know that I was necessarily the leader there. I do know that I used a lot of the the, the process and a lot of the techniques that I've used when I've uh, had to lead meetings or strategic offsites, but it all comes down to getting people engaged. So when you become an individual contributor and you become a leader, 
okay, and you're in charge of the team, the most important thing you can do is find a way to get a shared experience where the entire team can come together and decide, you know, where you want to go, what you want to accomplish and why and, and how you're going to do it, uh, the culture that you want to create. And, you know, that's how you make that transition. If you try to make that transition by yourself, forget about it because you have to take people with you. I imagine that building trust from the very beginning is a key part of that shared experience as well, because, you know, in my experience, going from individual contributor to leader, one of the most challenging things was learning to trust the other members of my team to actually go out and execute well. You know, you go from individual contributor where you're the one producing the work, if you will, to leading the people that are producing the work. So I love this idea of a shared experience as a way to not only get to know each other and kind of determine where you're going, but also it's a sort of a really beautiful way to build trust with each other and just know that these people will have your back and we're all in this together. Yeah, it it takes time. It doesn't happen overnight, but you only do it by working together. Question number three. When Brad was at Tampa, his team went from winning just 18 games in a season to winning the Stanley Cup in just four years. And in the interview, Brad credits the culture of the team as a big part of what led them to that Stanley Cup. What processes and systems can leaders put in place to protect and continue to nourish their culture as they grow? Well, I think the first thing is, is you've got to define what the culture is. And there, I think you need to think about what are the key behaviors that you know will drive success in your organization. And those will be the cultural behaviors that you're going to drive deep. And then if you really want to make them come alive, you as a leader, you have to walk the talk every day. And one of the best ways to to do that is, number one, be conscious of your own behavior. And number two, whenever you see others do the behaviors that you know will drive results, recognize them for it. And then what we would always do is try to put process and discipline around our culture. And that meant that our individual development plans really uh, were built off the cultural behaviors that we wanted to see in our people. You got promoted only if you lived the behaviors of the culture. Uh, we had coaching processes that reinforced the culture that we, we wanted to drive. But we really put very rigorous processes in place to make sure that everyone in the organization knew that it was important to live the the behaviors of our culture. And that was the only way you're going to ultimately get the to have the success that you may want or get the promotion that you may want. It seems so simple to first define what your culture is, but I feel like a lot of people skip over that step, which then makes it really hard to put rigorous systems and processes around developing that culture. So, I mean, you always say problem about common sense is it's not that common, but if you're a leader who is really trying to improve your culture, take some time and define what you want it to be or put language around what it already is if it's working for your organization. And then, of course, Define the behaviors that your team can do on a consistent basis to continue to enhance that culture. It seems so simple defining it and then putting a process in place. But with something like culture that's a little bit more intangible, a lot of times people just kind of skip over it. But I love that insight, David, and I'm sure people can learn a lot from it. The people who really understand culture don't see it as intangible. They see it as a tangible asset that you have to drive as deep as you can within your organization. 
And you can't do it by yourself. You can't create the culture all by yourself and say, hey, this is what we're going to do. You need to do it with your people. I've seen people fail when they spit, go into the, the, their corner office and write down these six values that they want everybody to do and they laminate them and they put them up on the wall and then they go out in the hallways and they don't live them and they don't drive them deep in their organization. And when that happens, you, don't, you have no culture. You have a one-person band. And you know what? You don't make a really good music with that. It's interesting. I met someone this weekend who works for Airbnb, and he is on the Culture Keepers team. They have an entire team of people internally called the Culture Keepers, and they do a lot with kind of internal learning and development. But he said his main goal is to make everybody a culture keeper, because like you said, you can't do it alone. And in a big organization, it can't just be one team who's driving that home. So I love that idea of making everybody a culture keeper because it's a great way not only to keep everyone aligned, but to continue building a healthy culture long-term. We had the same thing at Yum. We had people who were really on the culture team and they would come up with ways to really drive it deeper and deeper in the organization. The other way you, you, you do it is you have to recognize bad behavior. If people are doing things that are inconsistent with your culture, you got, you got to call them out. You can't let people get away with it. So you need to coach first and then hopefully they'll adjust. But if they don't adjust to what your culture is, then it's time to tell them to go somewhere else. And, you know, that sounds tough, but hey, that's just the way how it is. Time to trade them, if you will. Well, that, that, that can be true. <laughs> you know, and speaking of trading, Brad Richards was one of the best players on the team in Tampa and got traded. And that's got to be such a psychological uh, obstacle to overcome, knowing that your team doesn't want you anymore, but realizing you have a ton of talent. And it was so interesting listening to how he processed all of that uh, when he got traded. And so uh, if you haven't ever heard the story and gotten an inside look into what it is like for a professional athlete to get traded, definitely check out the episode. It's fascinating. You're right, cool. And, and, and one of the things that hockey players are known for being is outstanding golfers you know, because they have great hand-eye coordination and they can swing their hockey stick at such an unbelievable speed. And they take those skills and they become great golfers. And by the way, Brad Richards is a great golfer and I'm happy to say is going to be my partner in this tournament we're going to be playing in over Labor Day. And I fully expect to win because I've got the partner of the century. <laughs> Lucky you. Well, thanks again for tuning in to another episode of How Leaders Lead. We're on a mission to make the world a better place by developing better leaders. And if you carve out a little time with us each and every week, we'll help you build the confidence you need to lead well. And we've got a real special episode for you next Thursday because we're going to dive into the best of quarter two and share some of the insights from each one of our guests. And it's a great way for you to pick up some great insights. Oh,